all have questions, big questions that have a huge impact on our lives. Questions about life, faith, family, and everything in between. These topics affect all of us. So we've set aside two weeks for an honest question and response series. We've asked you to submit your questions online so you get to decide what this series is about. Often, we're not alone in the questions we have. So now it's your chance to just ask. All right, if you're a guest with us today, we are doing something very different. This is a series we started last week. Today is part two, uh, and it simply is, uh, it's called Just Ask. It's just Q&A with the pastoral team here at Grace Life, where you've submitted questions, and we're going to do our very best to answer them. So just so you know, we've received way too many questions to answer, which tells us this is a good thing to do. You guys are enjoying this. And I just want to throw out there, if we cannot answer your question from the stage, you do not have to remain in the dark. We, you can come and talk to any of us. We have emails, we have phones, and some of us have offices. I have an office. They don't. But in the new building, they might get one. That's kind of a, there you go. You got Starbucks? All right, there you go. Meet them at Starbucks. But anyway, we'd love to answer your questions even if they didn't make it from the stage because we just had too many. Uh, so with that being said, let me introduce our panel and we'll get started. Over here, we have our moderator, Suzanne Brammer. Too many words to be careful to get right in that. She's our service producer, graphic designer. We have our worship pastor, uh, Brett Floyd, and our women's pastor, Patrice Lamb. And I'm Jimmy. All right, there you go. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's kind of funny. All right, so we had, uh, we had a series of questions that are just real quick answers, and we, you know, we decided that we don't need to take time as a panel to answer them. So if you don't mind, I'm going to take about two minutes here. I'm just going to do some rapid-fire stuff. Is that good with everybody? So here are some quick ones we got. Uh, I'm afraid of World War III. Okay, cool. Uh, the, Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says that there, there will be wars and rumors of wars. This is nothing new. All throughout history, Christians have had to endure war zones and uh, peace not being found right around them. Living in war zones, even today, there are Christians living in war zones. So here's the important thing for you to understand. Yes, World War III may come. Jesus is still on his throne. We do not get our internal peace and security from our circumstances or from our nation. We get it from Jesus being on his throne in the kingdom of God. So a war may come. And we will still trust God, and we will live through it. It's not going to be the first time. Uh, let's see. How did the staff and elders of Grace Life meet to decide to create this church? I'm going to point you to April 10th, 2016, a message online. Again, that's April of last year. It's called Decade, and it's got our story. What does the Bible say about being a member of a church? Does God call us to commit ourselves to one church? I will answer your question tonight in depth at 530. See you there. <laughs> first step, part one, I'll even feed you. There you go. Uh, we had a lady who asked, I have vivid dreams pretty much every night, but don't know how God is speaking to me through them. Had more to say about that in reference to the series we just did about learning to hear the voice of God. And my wife hears through dreams and things like that. Wanted a, a lot of input there. What I'm going to do is point you to women's pastor Patrice Lamb. Also has one of the greatest gifts of discernment I've ever seen. So make an appointment with her and she will walk you through that. Another person asked, what are ways to convince people that Jesus is real when they don't believe? Uh, you need to lay that down because that is not your job. You cannot convince anybody of anything. Only the Holy Spirit can. So stop taking that burden on. Do pray for them. Do love them. And you can research some good answers to some of their questions so the Holy Spirit can use you, but that is not your burden to carry. Uh, last rapid fire is if you smoke marijuana... Just so you know, we're not skirting the tough ones. 
If you smoke marijuana instead of pain pills because of an addiction to the pills is, and it is illegal in your state, is that wrong? Because we could talk for 30 minutes about this debate, I'm not going to get into that. I'm only going to answer the question you asked. If it's illegal in your state, is it wrong? The answer is yes. The Bible tells us to be submitted to all authorities, governing authorities, because God put them in the place. I'm not going to debate whether or not it's good for you or equal to the pain medication, et cetera, et cetera. That's another day's debate. I do know that it's easy for me to sit here and give you a yes or no answer as someone who is not in the pain that you're in. I want you to understand my wife just had surgery in December, and prior to that, she lived in a chronic debilitating pain situation where many days she couldn't get off the couch, couldn't exist without sunglasses. I do understand what you're going through. I do have compassion when I say uh, that choices have to be made, and the answer to your question is, if it's illegal, it's not something we should be doing. So, I mean, just think about that as a Christian when you get busted for that. Well, you know, I wanted to be a good follower of Jesus, so I, like, broke the law of marijuana instead of my addiction to pain pills. Uh, neither way is that going to go down well, so uh, talk to somebody about that. Uh, and then we had several questions that were way too long. They're the exact opposite of rapid fire. So I'm going to point you to a series we're going to do in November and December where we're going to take one question each Sunday, and I will preach a sermon based on the answer uh, for that question because the question itself is so in-depth. Just an example of one of those is, why does God create people that are going to hell? Well, that's a pretty good one, right? Can't do that in three minutes. So we'll come back to that. So here we go. Suzanne, give us a question. Let's get started. All right. Question one, what does the Bible say about homosexuality and transsexualism? Can you be a homosexual and still be a believer? How do we respond to homosexuals if we have different values or beliefs? Well, talk about cannonballing in the deep end of the pool here today. There you go. Uh, look, here's uh, real clear. The first thing I'm going to do so that you understand our heart, my heart, and where I'm coming from, I'm going to point you to a message I did on this uh, where we talked about what the Bible says and what our response should be and how to exist in the world today. Uh, I'm only going to repeat a little bit of it right now, but I really want you to go back and get this. On our website is a series called Stop the Hurt. Look for a graphic called Stop the Hurt. And I believe it was part two of that series. I do know it was October 20th, 2013. So go back and get that. You will get the best answer you can get. For now, I'm only going to touch on just this part of it. It comes out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I know a lot of people uh, try to refer to the Old Testament at this point. They say it was Old Testament, it was Leviticus. Uh, that's irrelevant, doesn't matter for today, etc. All of the, the arguments you hear. Um, but here's the reality. New Testament telling us how we should live our lives says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So do not be deceived. And it's going to give a list of things that the unrighteous would do in their lifestyle. It says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So that part is pretty clear in terms of, of what that says. And then this next part is very important to us. It says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. We change when we become like Christ. It says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So the most important question we need to answer here is, um, are you righteous or unrighteous? Because it says the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So to be clear, the Bible still refers to this as a sin, but along with many other sins. Did you catch that? Yes, it's a sin, but so are many other things. And you need to understand this greatest truth. I try to do this so much at Grace Life that hopefully we are not ever in the dark about this. But here's the reality. Righteous, being right with God, comes by 
what Jesus did. You are right with God because Jesus died for you and you live for him. You recognize the free gift of salvation. You recognize that he is your king, your Lord, your savior, whatever terminology you want to put on that. And you will be right with God because of his sacrifice, not because of your actions or your lifestyle. Is that clear? Okay. Now, then the problem comes in. How does that connect with our lifestyle? And the reality is this, that phrase that says, such were some of you, because once you become a believer, once you become a follower, we are all obligated to look in the mirror and say, which part of my life does not line up with the way that honors God? And so, yes, there are people in the room that need to look in the mirror and go, I'm greedy. That was on the list. There are other people in the room that need to look in the mirror and say, I'm an idolater. I care more about my football team than I do time with God. There are other people that need to look in the mirror and and say, wow, I'm having sex with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. We all need to look in the mirror. I personally have a massive anger problem. If you were to say, what am I working on that that somehow uh, is not surrendered to God like it needs to be? I think it is right until I blow up. You know, I mean, come on, anybody? And uh, so here's the thing is I believe firmly that I am going to heaven because Jesus died for me and I am a believer, but I still struggle with a sin issue. It's self-control. I'm working to control my anger. So can someone be a believer and be a homosexual? Well, yes, if you can be a believer and a glutton. Anybody been through a buffet three times? I'm sorry to say that, but that's the reality. And many of us self-righteous Christians will look down upon a table that's got a gay couple on a date as we walk past them to our third or fourth trip to the buffet, and we think we're better. So the reality is sin is sin, and that's very clear in Scripture. The problem is we have lost our voice in this generation because we've decided one sin needs to be picked on more than everything else, and one sin needs to be targeted more than everything else. And somehow there's one sin that God can't deal with. So I just want us to make sure we understand, yes, it is a sin. Yes, if you're a believer, you need to think about how you are going to live your life and make a choice. And so people will ask the question, so wait a minute, if I just choose not to be homosexual, does all of that go away? Probably not. Probably not. I I talk with men all of the time that are struggling to, to stay faithful to their wife. Maybe they're in a tough situation in their marriage. Things are not going well. Too many kids at the same time, right? I mean, somehow that feels like, where did all these people come from? Are we rabbits, right? You know, and you got all these kids. They're driving you crazy. Your wife is exhausted. There are too many bills. There's stress at work. You don't feel appreciated by your spouse, but you go to work and your secretary makes you feel like you're king of the world. And you will have to choose not to act upon those feelings. It does not mean that you will not still be attracted to the situation or to the secretary you will have to make a choice on how to do what is right and so every single one of us has to wake up every single day and make choices that honor god based upon the fact that we say jesus is our king jump in it says in the bible is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god um i think it's important to remember that when we're christians that god has called us to be more like christ and that means for me, I might struggle with one thing, and Jimmy might struggle with another thing, and you might struggle with a different thing. But God's called us to lay th- certain things down to be more like him. And uh, we've all sinned. It's not, I've sinned pretty good, you've sinned worse, so we all need it. No, if you're breathing, you need Jesus. That's just the long and short of it. If you're breathing, you need Jesus. And we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. 
You know, one of the questions that we get a lot on this topic uh, to, to add to that is, well, you know, what do I do when I've got a gay family member coming over to my house with their partner and I don't feel comfortable with that? What should I model in front of my kids? Should this be allowed or whatever? Uh, and, and, you know, that gets difficult. I'll, I'll tell you this. I've got friends who are gay and I've got family members who are gay. But I've also got friends and family who are greedy and selfish and maybe don't tithe or honor God or have a lust problem or a porn problem. I let them in my house. And so I'm not going to discriminate just one sin issue. And, you know, you've got to decide for yourself where your conviction is. You've got to decide for yourself which movies your kids get to see. I'm not going to answer that question for you. I'm going to tell you that for me, it is a great opportunity for me to teach my children that they live in a broken world. And brokenness is all around them. And that we all have choices. And that every single one of us, including uncle so-and-so and me, we all have things we have to choose not to do, and Jesus is still working on. That's how we handle it for us. That's, that's how it works in our family. Uh, I'm going to let you make your own decision there. But I will say that the answer to the question, how should we respond? We should respond as though these are people who need Jesus just like you and me. I mean, when I'm having an anger problem, I need you to pray for me. I need you to maybe say words that will calm me down, words that will encourage me, words that will help me get a grip on self-control. Remind me that the Spirit of God lives in me and the self-control is something. Come closer to me, don't run from me. And so if we're going to help people struggling with sin, we, we really need to change how we respond. We need to respond with love. We need to respond with grace. We need to not respond with judgment unless we want to be judged. And I don't know that any of us in here are perfect just because you may not struggle with one sin issue doesn't mean so that's all i got next something easy er how do i relate to christians that don't look like me i'm struggling with this take that away tattoo brett tattoo brett <laughs> almost dma tattoo brett is that my full new name um yeah so i look different and uh, one of the one of the cool things when i saw this question is i i thought about how awesome our god is as the ultimate creator of things. He made this world. If you look out flowers in the world and you look at your spice rack of all the different flavors and smells that you have, God's enabled us to see different colors and hear all sorts of different notes. And our God's just the, the creator of diversity. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that he has done in this world. And I love that he's also done that with people. I love to see that people are from different places, from different uh, backgrounds, from different uh, economic situations and different cultural backgrounds. I think the church needs to reflect the society that we live in. And I think the greater, the more diverse their church is, the stronger it is, the more we'll look like heaven. Yeah. So to, to tag on to that, first of all, it's, I would have a tattoo, except that my tattoo money keeps going to grocery budget for four kids. But. We can take up a special offering. Anyway, yeah. It's on my, it's on my bucket let's, list to get a tattoo with Jimmy. Let's not take up a special offering for the pastor's tattoo. That would, uh, it's not the reputation I want us to have as a church. Let me piggyback on what Brett was just talking about, the creator God. Here's the thing we need to understand. The kingdom of God is incredibly diverse. It's the church that is not. And that's the problem. The kingdom of God is incredibly diverse. The people that God has created and the way that they are expressing themselves outwardly is amazing. And, and we should not separate, but we do. On Sunday morning, we try to figure out where can we find a group of people who look like us. And uh, I want to say that fortunately, you know, I, I think that Grace Life is a great church working toward diversity. We're one of the, if not the most diverse church in this city, I would venture to say. 
we are socioeconomically diverse. We've got people fighting bankruptcy sitting next to multimillionaires. No, I'm not going to tell you their names. <laughs> That's the last thing. Hey, I'm next to you. No, uh, we've got people of all races, of all uh, walks of life, of all styles, of everything. And, and that is wonderful. It is beautiful. One of the reasons for starting Grace Life was this very issue is to bring diversity to the church. Uh, you know, I grew up in South Carolina, tried to leave South Carolina, and one of the reasons behind the idea, why would I move back to South Carolina and help start a church in this city, for me, it was about diversity. This is the state that started the war. It seems like a good place to have a church that can end it. That, that was kind of what was behind this. And so that's why we're here doing what we're doing. So if you feel like you just don't fit in, you are very different, can I beg you, stick around Stick around, help the church be more diverse. The only caveat I'm going to throw into that is if you're talking about what's going on inside, that's a different question. Because as we become more like Jesus, every single one of us will look exactly the same. Internally, we will not be able to tell one from the other if you were blind. So if you're referring to externally, then let's celebrate our diversity. If you're talking about internally, then maybe God's working on something that needs to change because there is one person we all need to look like. His name is Jesus. Anything else? Next. Next. How do I find a Christian spouse? I don't know. How long have you been married now? Six weeks? A little over a month. A little over a month. Well, then uh, why don't you finally answer a question around here? Recent, Recent wisdom. Yeah, well, some of the best wisdom I've heard and I would say is to focus on becoming the one, the one you're looking for is looking for. And instead of getting frustrated, I know how it's hard when you want to be married five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever, and it doesn't fit the timeline that you thought would happen. Um, just really focus on what has God called me to be? How can I get the most freedom that I can get? Really, your spouse will thank you. Uh, and then pray for them. Pray for their freedom in different areas that God would bring you together at the right time. You know, I also think it's about environment. Um, someone asked me a version of this question a few months ago, and I asked them, well, where, where are you spending your time? What are you doing on the weekends? What are you doing on Sunday? And, and after I heard their answer, my response was, well, you're trying to find a swordfish in a pond. And you're not going to find that there. And so the question is environment. And so what I would encourage you to do is to come to church, get on a team, serve with people, get connected to a life group, and you never know whose friend might be showing up on that life group at that one time and you meet and you hit it off. You just never know. But it's really, I think, a big part of it is a question of environment. Put yourself in an environment that will, will help you succeed in finding what you're trying to find. I'm good. Great. I got a spouse too. But hey, if you want all the single people just gather in the lobby afterward, <laughs> we'll, we'll line you up by height because, you know... That was the Grace cool trick speed God played on me. Gave me a spouse three inches taller. That was so that my children had hope. Anyway, go ahead. You've preached many sermons on the importance of getting out of debt, and you actively promote Financial Peace University to help people honor God with their finances. Why are you okay with the church going into debt to finance the new building? Doesn't this contradict how you teach us to live our lives? Well, then, why don't y'all just ask a nice question? Uh, so just to show you we're not hiding the difficult questions we get, uh, maybe this is the same one that asked last week about what do you do when you don't like what the pastor says. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> could be. Um, so, hey, here's the first thing you need to understand. The principle of being debt-free does not change. 
Uh, being in debt is not a sin, but it's also not recommended because Scripture is very clear that the borrower is slave to the lender. There's no way around that. You cannot choose to sleep in when you have a bill to be paid. You've got to go to work. And so we do understand that we are always going to be in that situation. We would love to, to be out of debt. So with that being said, the principle does not change. How are we making that decision in our situation? Uh, the first thing I would say is this. It's not apples to apples. It's not comparing apples to apples to talk about your home compared to the church on one primary reason, and that is this. In your home, you control 100% of your income, 100%. When your boss says, I'm going to give you a job at $60,000 a year, you get a paycheck with $60,000 a year minus taxes, which you owe. Those are your bills, so that's fine. You get the $60,000 that's promised to you. But my boss promised us a certain amount of money to run the church, and we don't get all of it. He promised that we would have about 10% from every single one who called the church their home. And the national average is 2.5%. Instead of a dime for every dollar, the church in America gets about two and a half pennies. Grace Life beats the national average word about three cents on the dollar or slightly above. So the reality is I want you to imagine every time you get your paycheck and you've decided I'm going to get out of debt and I'm going to live right and I'm going to do this, but I want you to imagine that 70 to 75% of your paycheck isn't there. Then I want you to decide how to make a perfect decision. It'd be very difficult for you to figure out how to get out of debt without 70% of your paycheck every single week. Does that make sense? And so that's really the situation we're in as a church. If we were to talk about what that looks like statistically right now based on the census and the median income and the number of people who claim to be Christians in America, people have done the math, and right now the number is that the church in America would have about an additional $165 billion annually. That's a lot of buildings that could be paid for in cash, a lot of not going to the bank interest money but we don't have control of 100% of our income because it's just not there. So at Grace Life, a good way to look at it is this. We've spent about four years designing the building, getting permits, working with contractors, working with architects. If everyone over the last four years had uh, tied the first 10% of their income, no questions asked, and we had been setting aside money for this, we would be paying cash for this building. And that's the reality of it. So when we're asked as leaders the question of, of do you want to build this debt-free, the question I would ask back is what is the cost of that? Because in order for us to continue multiplying services, our second service, which by the way, the closest service to 11 o'clock on a Sunday is where the majority of guests are going to go, people who need to meet Jesus and get saved, they're going to that service, and that one is full for us. We, don't, we can't do that. We could, we could add services at like 2 a.m. in the morning, but nobody's going to come. So, you know, our issue is we're faced with a choice. Remain debt-free, and in order to do so, limit the impact of a growing church in its city. And so, ultimately, the only choice we have is to put a price on seeing lives changed, put a price on salvation. And we decided as leaders that there's a price to be paid, and it may be interest to the bank. So, uh, let me be very clear. I and all of the elders at Grace Life absolutely would love to do this debt-free. The question is, would all of us? Because that is how it's going to work. It's a family decision. If you choose as a family to get out of debt, to say, we're going to pay off our mortgage, we're going to live debt-free, one person in the family can't make that decision. 
Because the whole family is going to have to sacrifice a Disney vacation. The whole family will have to agree to eat rice and beans instead of steak. The whole family will have to come together. You can't have spouses spending money in different ways if that is a family goal. So if Grace Life wants to build this building debt-free or to now that we're a little behind, pay it off as quickly as possible, it's going to have to be a family decision. There are many people who have made that decision, and they're the ones that have us at almost a million dollars ready to go. Uh, but the rest of that is going to come from the rest of us making that decision. So uh, the elders have been left with an imperfect choice in an imperfect situation. Do we stay debt-free and not impact our community as much, or do we pay interest to a bank and impact our community greater and see more people saved? It's not a perfect question. It does not have a perfect answer, and we've chosen the latter. Did I say that in a graceful enough way you guys will still come back next week? But that's the answer. That's my answer. Next. <laughs> As a woman who never had children and never conceived, I wonder, what is a woman's place in the kingdom when she is not meant to bear and raise children? Hey, since I'm not a woman, why don't you take that one? I'll try to answer that one, yeah. Um, I do. I have talked up here. I was thinking, this is a service that my family's coming. I think they think I'm not saying anything. <laughs> hey, Patricia's family, she's going to answer but this here. one. There you I'm here. I'm going to say something. I'm going to talk. Um, but no, I think that's a really good question. Um, actually, it made me a little sad that somebody, you know, has a question feeling as if they're a woman, and if they don't conceive and if they don't bear children, that they don't have a place in God's kingdom. And I feel like I would like to just reach out to whoever's asked that question and say, please come talk with me. I would love to just sit and have a conversation because I feel that that question probably is coming from some really bad teaching, maybe from your past or maybe a wound of, um, you know, somewhere that you've been wounded and feel like you don't have anything to offer because you don't have children. Um, because I, I think if you are a woman, a man, a child, in the kingdom of God, you have a purpose in That's the right. kingdom of God, yeah. and God has an absolute call in your life. Um, so if you don't have children naturally, you have children. We are all called to have children spiritually, right. um, to have, spirit, have spiritual children. Titus 2 talks about the older um, women teaching and leading the younger women. It talks about the men, you know, lead, older men leading the younger Men And older and younger is all relative. Um, if you've been walking with the Lord for 15 years and there's somebody that's younger than you, but they've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, they probably have a lot to teach you. If you've been walking with the Lord for a very short time, there's somebody that's been walking with the Lord for a shorter time than, you ha than you've been walking, and you, right. you have something to teach them. Yeah. So we are called to disciple, we're called to reach out, we're called to um, minister to one another and then they become our spiritual children. So it doesn't have anything to do with a natural conception and a natural raising natural children. I think, you know, spiritual children is where it's really at. Absolutely. I just want to add on to this uh, for Patrice in particular. So uh, they have five children. They have raised five wonderful, godly Christian children. And last one graduated Saturday. There Yay. you go. All right. So, um, so we're not just talking about five-year-olds that look godly. We're talking right. about adults. They have five adult children at this point that all live their lives to honor God. And so if you were to ask Patrice and her husband, Joe, you know, to put a size on the impact of raising five godly children and, and raising a family like that. I know it was one of their greatest values, always has been. So if you were to say that the impact in the kingdom of God for their family of seven, uh, all honoring Jesus, if, if you would say that impact is this big, her impact in the kingdom is this big. The number of people that 
come to her for help, for advice. The number of spiritual children she's always had, long before being pastor as a women's pastor. Uh, we hired her to do the job she was already doing. We just finally figured out, like, hey, you know, we should pay her for what she does because she already does it. Uh, the number of people that already were coming to her saying, can you help me? Can you counsel me? Can you lead me? Uh, their family led on the mission field in Sri Lanka. Uh, I mean, just a number of things that they helped found this church. They're one of the four original family, founding families of this church. And every, the impact she's had has far outweighed the five biological children no offense to the five of you sitting there. You're all equally just massively important. But what she's done far outweighs that. Suzanne is another example, just married, no children yet, and yet just a few weeks ago at her wedding rehearsal, the number of young ladies that stood up in tears talking about the influence that she's had for them. So I just, I just want to just kill whatever the pressure is in the church or from the culture or wherever you're getting it from that says your value is measured by the size of your biological family. That is not where your kingdom value is measured, at least not only. So you can have great and should have great impact uh, outside of that. I've got four children, and I certainly hope, I love my four children. I want that to be one of the most important things I do. But I hope my impact in the kingdom of God right. far outweighs four people. Yeah. So don't believe the lie that that is a measuring tool. Good. Next question, what do I do if I can't handle any more and I'm starting to think about ending it all? Being a teen is hard because you feel alone. Wow. You know, we had many questions along this topic. We had many questions about suicide. And so I can't answer exactly where you are and how to help you today based on what you're facing. I can only talk in principle. And, and here's what I want to say. Every single one of us wakes up every day listening to lies of the enemy. Maybe we look in a mirror and think, I'm not pretty enough, or we think I'm not tall enough, or we think I'm not rich enough, or I've got too many problems, or nobody likes me, whatever. Every one of us, the lies of the enemy are abundant. And so what the enemy loves to do, the Bible is clear, he loves to still kill and destroy, and that's what he's after. Mm -hmm. So he's come to lie to you, and then ultimately to, to isolate you, so that you begin to believe the lies in your head, and no one else is speaking truth about what God thinks of you and what God's plans are for you. And so he isolates you in what you're thinking, and you believe the only way out is out. And I think if we were to ask, I'm not going to do it because I don't know how many of us would be honest, but I think if we were to ask around the room, how many of us at some point in life, maybe it was middle school when you were being picked on, maybe it was a few years ago when you were going through bankruptcy, maybe it was when you were facing a divorce, I don't know when it was. But I think every single one of us in here would say there was a time when we thought it would just be easier to check out. But we would say, now I'm glad I pressed through. Now I'm glad I got the help that I did. Now I am glad I am still here. And so what I want to encourage you to do if you are one of the many people asking these questions is just please get help. Come and talk to us. Because I cannot, I cannot from the stage help you process the individual things you are thinking, the individual pressures you have. I know they are big. I know they are important. I'm not making light of them, but I, I can't help address those individually. But what I can do is plead with you, do not be isolated. Do not allow the, the things that the enemy is saying to you. We've all got them. Do not allow the things that he's saying to you to back you into a corner to where you believe that is the only way out. It is not. We are here. We are free. We do not charge. Come, speak to someone, get help. This person in particular says that they are a team. You have great student ministry leaders here at Grace Life that will help you with that, will walk you through that. Um, I, I've seen them do that. So, so please, please, please ask for help. 
It's important to remember that God values life. And God values your life. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knew your name before the world even was here. And I think it's important that you find someone, even just one person, that can put wisdom in your midst and put truth in your midst amongst all the other things you're listening to. So I would, I would really ask you, find that person who can do that for you. Tell them what you're going through and let them help you. And I just want to say, you know, that person that is going to put wisdom in your life, especially that, like we said, this question is from a teenager. It's probably not maybe your, you know, friend that's going through the exact same thing you're going through. Maybe the two of you together then, then can go and find someone to speak with. But you've got to find someone who's going to pour that wisdom into you and that's going to dispel the lies that Jimmy was talking about and, and then that wisdom will grow and you'll begin to make that change in your mind that you don't believe the lies yeah. and you believe the truth. Yeah, ultimately you need hope and you need truth and so yeah. you need to talk to someone who has both. Good. Don't yeah. talk to someone who's got more despair than you do. Right. But go to someone who has hope and truth because you need hope and truth. Preferably go to one of your pastors, whatever that means to you in your life, one of your pastoral voices. Good. That's all I got. How do you respond to a toxic marriage? You have to take an oath to love, honor, and never forsake. However, the spouse you have prayed for has never changed. Years of toxicity has slowly broken my spirit. Is it okay to say enough is enough? How tolerant should we be in God's eyes? Well, unfortunately from the stage, I'm going to almost have to give the same answer I just did last time, which is I can't answer your question for you based on this amount of information. I don't know what your definition of toxic is. I don't know if you are in an abusive situation that you need to get out of for your personal safety and for the safety of children. I don't know if that's the case. Or if you are simply in a tough situation with someone who is not the most loving or the most Christ-like. You know, one of the mistakes we make in America in marriage is we have the idea marriage is meant to make us happy and give us a servant. And it's one of the most unbiblical ideas ever. And so what we've discovered about marriage is, first of all, we're, we're called to serve. But here's one that doesn't ever get preached, is marriage is one of the great witness institutions for evangelism that God has given us. He puts us with someone who is not at the same level of spiritual maturity so that we can help them and lead them and pray for them, and in some cases, literally bring them into the kingdom. The Bible talks about living with a non-believing spouse in a way that would cause them to want to be like you and to have what you have. So if this is a situation where it would just be tough, difficult, God may have called you to a mission field, and it's not living in Pakistan, it's living in your home. But I don't know if your definition of toxic is tough or abusive. I, I can't answer from here what exactly your next step should be because I don't know exactly where you are. So I'm going to give you a similar answer to the last time. We do free marriage counseling. You need to get that. You need to come and sit down with someone who will help you process where are you on this uh, journey? Where are you in this spectrum of what you would call toxic? I, I can't be more specific without talking one-on-one -on -one with you, but would love to do that. That's what we're here to do. And I will say, too, I mean, you alluded to it, but if you are in a toxic relationship that is dangerous, you know, we're still here to help, and we can help walk you through how to get out of a situation like that because that's not a situation that we would ever ask you to stay in. Right. And, uh, you know, in order to bring your spouse to the place God would want them, it may require a temporary separation so that they wake up. They might need a wake-up call 
Uh, it's not to say that there's not a godly way to bring attention to the situation. I'm a huge fan of marriage, obviously. I'm a huge fan of not using the word divorce just for our own pleasure. Uh, my wife and I, our story, as you've heard much of it, we would not be married today if we had just walked away when it was toxic. We were toxic to each other. No, we were not abusive to each other, but we were very unloving, very disrespectful, very unkind. Uh, and it took a long time for us to get through that and for, for God to use that, but he did. And he, he healed both of us and, and he restored our marriage. And as a result, look at where we are today and what I'm able to do uh, for my life purpose. And that, that's amazing. So sometimes you're gonna have to go through a tough season, but not an abusive season. So you need to uh, ask for some help there. I think we're out of time. Are we out of time? Yeah. We're out of time. Man, you guys like this? Is this good? Questions? Y'all like this? Well, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to end by talking about the most important question we could ask, uh, and that is, where are you with God? Where are you with God? You know, we've talked several times this morning in questions saying that the answer is not about how you behave. It's not about what you do, but it's about whether or not Jesus is the king of your life. Have you recognized that Jesus died for you and you need to live for him? That is the ultimate answer about how to be right with God. And so what I want to do this morning is make sure everyone has answered that question. It's the most important one we can answer. Because we're never going to be right with God based upon our lifestyle. We're never going to be right with God based upon the number of times we go to church. Nope. All of those reflect being right with God. We choose things there based upon what Jesus has done for us. So... If you have yet to make that decision, if you have yet to come to that place where you've answered the question for yourself, I want to help you do that here this morning. You don't have to do anything weird or awkward. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come down front. Right where you're seated, we can do the most important thing that you will ever do. Would you all just join me right now and pray? We're going to say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now... I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. My simple prayer today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.